Hello, and welcome to Super Respectable. My name is Toshio Rahman, and my friend David Lewis is here as well. Hi, Dave. Hey, Tosh. How are Excuse you? Me. I'm good. I'm sorry I burped there. That was so gross. <laughs> Just like, oh, no. uh, let's keep going. Uh, yeah, keep going, keep going. We're, we're raw, we're unedited. We're, yeah. It's what it is. It, it is what it is. I did this podcast the other, a couple of weeks ago for work with one of our colleagues. And it was like, uh, I didn't tell them I knew like, you know, doing a podcast, like I do one. So like, they kept like treating me like I was a more like, I didn't know anything about podcasts. And I was like, okay, sure. But they kept re-recording things. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they'd be like, oh no, we made a mistake. Uh, let's do it again. Let's cut again. And this is that. And it was completely the opposite of our methodology. So I think we... Uh, I think our listeners appreciate our yeah. raw, unedited, free-flowing style, unplanned, unresearched, uh, yeah. littered with factual errors. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully no one no one no one double checks or oh, triple checks. actually on that point i think um for dr lewis's sake uh we should do a, a weekly summary of all the mistakes we made in the previous episode okay so um he very helpfully points some of them out okay. so um uh, for instance in the titanic episode i think it was said that uh the titanic was uh came uh built in england yeah it was constructed in belfast oh okay i'm sorry okay that's that's a good point uh, last week I said uh, something to do with the lingua franca yeah. being to do with to do with France. Yeah, uh, and that greatly upset uh, Dr. Lewis because lingua franca is Latin and has uh, uh, roots uh, obviously predating uh, France. But no, what I intended, Dr. Lewis, was um, that uh, French was the lingua franca for diplomacy and uh, international relations. Is that is what I was trying to say? But. Uh, this is what happens when we when we just uh, let it uh, rip. Yeah. No. Thank you so much, Doctor Lewis. I honestly like thank you so much. Either other podcasts have like fact checkers and a whole section on the podcast where they talk about mistakes, but but uh, we will try to do better. And if anyone ever hears anything that's incorrect, please let us know. We've had other listeners who've emailed and they've corrected our our, our things, so we appreciate it. We appreciate the engagement. Yes. Um, how are you doing, Dave? How is life? Uh, you're wearing your hoodie, which is a good sign, right? I'm wearing a hoodie. I, I guess it's a good sign. Uh, I don't know what it means, but it means it's cold. Yeah. Um, it's May mm -hmm. and it's very cold and I don't know why. Yeah. Um, it's kind of annoying because the restrictions have been somewhat lifted here. So I want to go outside and enjoy the terraces that have opened up. Yeah. But um, it's been stormy and around five degrees. So here we are stuck indoors again. What, um, are you doing anything for Mother's Day uh, this upcoming Sunday? Uh, I will not reveal that on the uh, recording such as okay. this one, but um, needless to say, I will do something wonderful for my mother. Does Mother's Day even exist in the Netherlands or no, you're going to do like an international thing? No, mothers aren't recognized in this country. <laughs> <laughs> but they should be <laughs> in every country. Uh, That's a good point. I, I'm I'm not sure if there's uh, if it's just sort of leaked into like Dutch culture or like European culture from uh, the Anglo-Saxons because I tend to think that um, in the Anglo-Saxon world yeah. uh, there's more of these kind of hallmark holidays. Totally. But I'm I can't uh, can't be sure whether they don't have their own separate things. Mm -hmm. um, we, we never know. I. Um... Uh, to be honest, I didn't even remember until my sister told me, make sure you buy a dessert and gift and card from all of us on Sunday. And I was like, oh, yeah. OK. All right. Uh, so, so I will do it. But of course, I don't mind at all. My, I love my mom. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, no problem at all. But 
yeah, that's sort of the thing here. Uh, it's with beautiful weather today. Uh, so I, I don't know when I get really, really good weather, it's just, and it's like, you know, that, you know, that weather where it's like not too hot and there's a little bit of wind, it's still like t-shirt weather. And then you're just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, I don't like tanning or anything like that, but I like, like wearing, like wearing a hat and going for a walk or something just to kind of like be active and feel like, cause if you're sitting, you could sit in front of the computer all day, if you really wanted to, right. Or in front of the TV, you could just forget about the world, but I like to be active at least just walk around. Are, are you wearing sunscreen? right now well well no when you go on these walks it's oh. very important because you had that trouble uh, I, I, I burned a little uh sometimes i do sometimes i don't uh, um but i should thank you david there's uh <laughs> i'll wear sunscreen remember, remember there's that song where you should always remember, always wear sunscreen yeah I, I remember the song we listened to it when we were in, in grade school but, but so. the guy i think he was australian where sun cream is really important so yeah maybe the rest of the world is not quite the same importance so it's so funny you bring that up. You're, I'm, I'm, I'm like 100% sure you're not going to remember this, but I actually <laughs> thought about this like a couple of days ago and it comes to my brain every couple of years and it's been 15, 20 years. Do you remember when you were in university, there was the atrium uh, in, uh, in uh, the main hall and they'd have like, uh, if different organizations came or different programs or schools or companies that promote stuff there, they'd have uh, uh, I remember I was with you one time and there was an Aussie guy who was really old or at least he looked really old and he was promoting something. Let's say it was like teach like teach in Australia or like do a train. Okay. And this guy had like horrible, horrible skin, like not like in a bad way, but like wrinkled up. And uh, you said like, you told me something to the effect of like, this guy's been in the sun in Australia for too long. And like, you could really tell. Oh, wow. And so like, I remember I have that memory with me. So anytime I think about like sunscreen and bad skin and uh, all that stuff, I think about your comments. Oh, that's very cool. Cause I don't remember that happening at all. And it's <laughs> yeah. interesting that uh, you have those. I thought memories. it was funny. I thought it was, fun. I uh, remember, remember weird things. Anyways. Anyways. So there we go. It's my week and we've been kind of happy and jolly for the last couple of weeks. So I want to take a little, little dark under the dark side. And uh, yeah, I mean, everyone dying on the Titanic was pretty jolly. So yeah, that was two weeks ago. So like <laughs> there was a movie made. So that's positive. That's but, positive. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll take it over. So I wanted to look into some of the ideologies and uh, methodologies behind cults. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, right? Cool. Very you, cool. You genuinely mean that? Because I find it very cool, cults. I mean, not in like Absolutely. what they do, but how it comes to be and how people join it. Uh, um, I've always found things related to like uh, organized uh, religion or beliefs or whatever. Fascinating. I even almost minored in religious studies, but I got too lazy and I didn't finish the credits. But, uh, but, uh, uh, but I was really interested in cults and in, in, in TVs and movies and books I've read and in news reports that have come out. I've always been fascinated in how they come to be and what some of the beliefs are. So I actually did a little bit of research and uh, um, I found some of the more uh, theoretical aspects of cult life and cult behavior and formation. And uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit and then talk about one cult uh, in general. Uh, I actually got down that rabbit hole pretty deep and I had to stop myself because it gets pretty dark pretty quick. Like it's pretty weird stuff. Nice. So, uh, so I, I, there were so many different examples from like the People's Temple, like Jim Jones to Charles Manson to some really weird ones. So I ended up finding one that I think you might know about, but there's, it doesn't really get uh, like explained a lot in Western uh, audiences, but I think you'll know about it in some context. So the first thing that uh, when I watched it, started, started studying was that uh, this guy said that nobody in a cult really realizes they are in a cult. <laughs> and so I thought that was a really interesting way to start off. 
because most people wouldn't uh, actively join a cult. They think it's some type of, of relief from life or something that they're looking for when they're missing. So they think it's like a group of uh, like a group of uh, group of people who can help them or aid them and make them feel more comfortable. And this is actually intentionally done by most cults. They don't come out advertising in terms of what they really are. They want you to slowly join and then they'll indoctrinate, indoctrinate you. Mm. So um, uh, three characteristics of a cult, um, um, which I want to talk about, are the following. And you tell me what you think. I don't know if you agree or not, but uh, then first way is that it's usually led by a very charismatic leader. Most cults have someone uh, who has a godlike figure, a divine figure, and uh, they're sort of the one that attracts people to join. And uh, in all my research I've done and all the interviews I've watched and stuff, people all, and people, in these are interviews from people who have joined cults, they all talk about the head of a cult being charismatic. That word comes up over and over again. So you got to be a real people person to, to get people on board. Uh, uh, and uh, usually what happens is like from the get-go, uh, it's not like they're like, oh, this guy is like God or whatnot, but this guy is someone you can relate to, someone who's personable, someone who who kind of like listens to you and gives you the time of day. And then as you join and as you spend more and more time, you see that the other people, the patrons of the cult, I guess, uh, yeah. they see him in a more godlike figure and a, a, than just a leader. And usually what happens is the more time you spend, people say that then you start seeing his authority uh, and that you shouldn't argue against him or argue against his, his, his beliefs. So that's the first characteristic of a cult. Okay. Uh, I'm taking notes. <laughs> okay. Don't take too many notes. This is a really negative door. <laughs> uh, um, the second one is that the group has some form of indoctrination, which means, uh, and it's subtle indoctrination. Usually when you join a cult, after you kind of get past that first door, they'll get you to take classes They'll give you uh, books to read. They'll, they'll have one-on-ones with you. And what they're trying to do here is just really like lay on that work, that foundation on you. Uh, some people have uh, compared it to mind control uh, in these situations. Um, I was thinking about using an example of a very common <laughs> belief system, but maybe I won't by name just because I don't want to alienate anyone. But uh, if we were to use this system, which I think you know who I'm talking about, uh, um, uh, they promote it through classes. So like, you know, when you come in, you're taking all these different classes on like how to deal with people, uh, um, um, different life skills. A lot of people have actually uh, equaled that, equivalented it, equiv- what's the word? Equate, equated it, equate, equated it with uh, subtle mind control. So there is that element to it. And then the third characteristic of a cult is what comes usually at the end or in the middle of a process. They don't promote this is that you're usually exploited somehow whether it's through financial exploitation, you have to pay to join the cult or you have to pay to be part of it or unfortunately through sexual exploitation where uh, more and more people have to like, uh, in it's kind of gross, give into like sexual uh, uh, practices uh, usually from the leader as well. So uh, these are the three characteristics of a cult. And interestingly enough, um, um, I didn't realize this is that um, most cults that we see modern day were started in America. Uh, hmm. I'm, I'm not saying for each one though, but what happened was that in the 1600s, uh, um, um, uh, when the Americas were being formed and formulated, they were creating a new country, right? Yeah, and so um, um, specifically in this area in New York from Albany to Buffalo, which they, uh, uh, um, which they call the burned over district. I don't know if you know this or not. No, I don't uh, know. They were uh, extremely open to new religious movements, especially radical religious movements. 
So if you look uh, historically, this area between Albany and Buffalo uh, was the creation of Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventists, a number of other uh, radical groups as well. And so over time, what happened was a lot of these people came to this area. They were able to create these, uh, these religions. They were able to create these movements and get people to uh, join. And they were able to equate their movements, their religious movements, with political issues happening at the time, right, at that specific time in history. For example, uh, um, the civil rights was a big uh, uh, point where a lot of uh, new religious movements were starting. Uh, um, the world wars, uh, Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther uh, King assassination, it drove a lot of people to find meaning in life because uh, the modern day religions wasn't doing it for them. And so a lot of Americans looked to the East or Eastern cultures uh, for the turbulent times they lived in. They needed an antidote. They needed alternative forms of meaning. So, uh, um, so a lot of the figures of these religions of these cults kind of seized on that opportunity. There was an opening. And so like the sixties, for example, were like a huge time of, of opening, right? Like of, uh, of, uh, of, um, uh, uh, a non-traditional thinking of uh, hippie culture of open to different things. So a lot of the leaders found like this was the optimal time to try to grow their movements. And so uh, a lot of leaders eventually started off as being idealistic, uh, bringing people in, let's change the way we think, let's work together. But as with human nature, uh, this turned to authoritative uh, rule as well. A lot of people, mm. I think human nature and uh, psycholog psychologically uh, once they once they get that power, they love it. <laughs> like, uh, it, it. It's delicious. It it takes it takes to. Um, there was one guy specifically, Jim Jones. He ran the People's Temple. Have you heard of it? It's the cult. Uh, he uh, he's the one who went to, they went to Guyana. Yeah, he's the and one. That's like, where it, don't drink the Kool Aid. That's where it came from. Don't drink the Kool Aid. I, I, I um, he's not my example, but just as a quick backup, he yeah, they went to Guyana. He created something pretty much like a commune called Jamestown. And uh, he convinced everyone to uh, drink the Kool-Aid. And it was the largest mass suicide in human history. 904 people or something like that uh, killed. I saw pictures online. And it was really disturbing. Like, there's just, it's just a whole place of dead people who committed dead people. And, and, but Jim Jones, he actually, in building up his, his people's temple ideology and the system, he studied previous cult leaders. And so he actually used social justice to attract people, right? see the evils of the world come here, like let's work together, let's try to solve it. And then through this social justice, he was able to manipulate people over time. So uh, uh, um, so it's, it's really interesting uh, so far. Any questions, David, for the test? No, I mean, it all sounds very plausible. I can see how people can get sucked into it. Yeah. Um, it kind of made me think of, uh, our interaction, I, I believe this is a memory with you. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But, uh, we had some cult uh, exposure in Ottawa when uh, we worked at a community center and they had a, a gar garage sale, Glebe garage sale. Yeah. And um, there was a Scientology booth. Okay. Do you remember that? They would do these diagnostic tests and they would, they would test okay. you to see, like whether you needed help. And generally speaking, you did. And then you had to go in and get some more assessments done, and then you join the cult. I, uh, I, I know of the test. I don't remember it at the Glebe Garage sale. Well, explain, please, please go on. I'm, I'm fascinated. You've well, captivated well, my interest. For some, for some reason, they had a booth right outside the community center where we worked, which seemed kind of odd because we worked with children and <laughs> shouldn't, probably shouldn't be exposed to that sort of thing. Inappropriate, yeah. um, But uh, no, um, it just made me think when you said charismatic leader, 
the the leader of Scientology was this guy L. Ron Hubbard, right? Yeah, yeah. L. Ron I'm not Hubbard. sure that he was whether he was charismatic or not, but he like, from what I understand, he just designed this thing because he believed that people could be easily manipulated. And uh, yeah, well, it's so strange you say that because uh, there's a Scientology center here in Vancouver in downtown and i used to work literally like a couple of blocks from it so i'd walk by it all the time and their their catch their their catch was come inside for free personality test right or free diagnostic yeah. test or whatever and that's I, I believe that's the test you're speaking of exactly yeah and i think that is i uh, quote unquote that point number two the form of indoctrination right like that first that first little uh, door into the system of of of, of it's very innocent. innocent. It just seems like just take this, just take this little test. It, like, it doesn't hurt. It's no yeah. obligation. Yeah. Then you get intrigued and they hook you in. Yeah, I I didn't know it was at the garage sale. It's very inappropriate. We should write a letter to someone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fifteen years ago you did this. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, fascinating. Actually, like it's a good transition because um, in the documentary I watched, they listed seven elements for indoctrination into a cult. And so like, let's say, let's use a, let's use a random name. Let's use Alex. Okay. Let's use our, let's use Alex. It's very random. So, so the seven elements is that usually uh, Alex, if uh, usually people who first are seizing uh, to look into something is because they're at a crossroads in life. They have a problem, right? So Alex is in a crossroads at life. Uh, he doesn't know what's happening. Uh, in the examples I gave you in the 60s and in the, in the 50s, there's war going on. Maybe your moral uh, compass, your ethics, your belief system uh, is, at, is at play here. So Alex is at crossroads. He doesn't know what's happening for whatever reason. And he finds out about cult A or whatever it is, right? And, he, and it's not a cult. Remember what I opened up with? Nobody in a cult realizes they're in a cult. So organization A. And what the organization does uh, is that they soft sell themselves to them right so whether it's like come you know have a coffee with us you know fill in this questionnaire uh have a group meeting take a diagnostic test this is their in to to, to alex right so uh the more alex spends time with him his reality starts distorting itself and this is where stuff starts getting really weird is because uh what the organization wants to do is that they don't, well, they want to change your percept uh, your perception of things and try to control it, right? So they actually end up getting, asking a lot of their uh, people not to interact with outside influences anymore. Like stay with us, believe us, we're your reality. The more and more you do this, the more enveloped you are in this system, right? Eventually what happens in step four is that you're introduced to the leader, right? So whether it's direct or indirect, uh, um, they can't just be like, hey, this is, this is our leader from the get-go because it gets kind of confusing. These guys have mastered the system that the leader comes a little later on. You want to create so scarcity and just uh, have an aura around this person, right? Ooh, I like that aura. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you want to create a little bit of hype, you know? Some you know hype. Yeah, yeah. He's coming into You want to have some warm-up acts first <laughs> before the main show. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. You want to get good tickets for the concert. He's coming in a couple months. Let's, mm. let's, let's hype it up. And you get introduced to the leader. And so every good leader right? Every good uh, leader or the story, you need an enemy, right? So, uh, uh, so what, the, what the leader does is that I think he tries to isolate you from everyone else. We're right. You're right. Everyone else is the enemy. They're wrong, right? Follow me. I'll put you on the right path. Don't listen to anyone else. And so what happens is they, they classify others as cognitive dissidents, right? Don't listen to Dave. You know, uh, Dave, Dave doesn't know what he's talking about. Follow us. I'm here, blah, blah, blah. And what happens is that uh, the more and more you get enveloped after this ideology, 
the more and more you interact with your fellow uh, uh, um, cult member, organization members. And so then peer pressure starts to fall in, right? So human nature is what? Human nature is always to be part of groups, right? Majority, mostly speaking, people are, uh, humans are group creatures. Every once in a while, you get a weirdo who's like a solo, <laughs> but for the most part, right? <laughs> and so, so when you get involved in, uh, uh, with groups, you'll end up doing usually what the group does, uh, uh, even if you know it's wrong. Yeah, because so all the cool kids are doing it. And I saw this amazing experiment. This, this, uh, it was done in the 70s. I'll try to put the YouTube video online. Uh, um, this, uh, this researcher took like 10 people uh, and he, uh, uh, he had, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but nine of the people were not actually strangers. They were part of the experiment. Only one of them was a stranger. And so what they did was like, it was like a mathematical experiment. And uh, they had like three lines uh, on a piece of paper at different sizes as, uh, as the, and then one line on the left. And they'd be like, which one line is comparable, is the same as any of the three lines, right? So say the first line, say that, that, like, uh, that main line was like two inches. There was one that was like 1.5. There's one that was three. And then there's one that was like, uh, like uh, one. None of them really uh, matched. But yeah. nine, of, nine of them chose like one that didn't match. And then, and then they wanted to see if the 10th guy would go along with what the group was doing or be the outlier and be like, no. And this guy was like, he, it was so funny the video he said what the group was saying but you could see in his eyes he's like it didn't make he's sense. like what am i saying <laughs> where so, am i so it was like you know i i've been in that situation where like you're just like in groups and like you just have to be part of the group or else it's just too hard i, I don't know why human nature is like that like but it's strange right yeah i mean it was kind of like me in sunday school I, I, with religion um i questioned things too much and i probably didn't uh, go over too well with people because they started telling me a story about jesus get, making all this fish and bread for all these people out of you know a few things and he fed sure. thousands of people and i said that's just not possible i mean how, how can you do that and um you're that one guy you, know, so you, you didn't give in to i'm pressure. that guy well in that in that case no but you know if it's my peer group and my my like within my age group sort of thing, then I'm much more likely to fall in line. Do you think there's like a laziness aspect to it or if some people just don't want to work and they're like, yeah, whatever. I agree with them. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, go on then. Let's go to Guyana. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so peer, step number six is the peer pressure. And step number seven is that uh, um, uh, eventually uh, uh, you see that the leader is this like sociopathic narcissist, right? Like you were so far down that rabbit hole, you pretty much need them now. You can't do stuff by yourself. And I, I and since we mentioned Scientology, we might as well just go with it at this point. Mm. But like, I think a lot of people from what I've started about Scientology is that the more enveloped you get in it, the more uh, dependent you become on the system and harder it is to get out. And I was watching these interviews with all these different people from different cults who have survived and exited cults. And they all said that like leaving was a huge uh, like mental burden for them and physical, of course, too, because it wasn't just like physically getting out of a place. It was changing in a complete mindset that had been like that had been set to this group, right? And this this person and this ideology. And I can I can understand having to change your entire belief system or way of thinking. But a lot of people also, by the way, had said that <clears throat> they knew something was wrong at one point. Like you know, most most conscientious person people with their basic human logic could tell that something was up. Like you know. Uh, so it's interesting that like, at least still our human brains or, or whatnot, uh, or whatever you want to call it, have, uh, there's like a red flag going up. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I, I, I'm kind of weird and I watch a lot of like prison documentaries and these gang documentaries because it just kind of fascinates me. Yeah. And um, the interview, like gang members, you know, the Crips, the Bloods, the, 
uh, ones in El Salvador, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And they interview some of these people, like the lower level guys. And they're like, how'd you get into this? Yeah. What, what motivates you? Um, blah, blah, blah. And their answer is almost invariably, well, the other guys did it. Yeah, and if yeah. I didn't do it, da, 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 da. Yeah. And it seemed cool. Basically, I'm lonely if I'm not part of it. Yeah. And then um, they also said it's impossible to leave now that I'm in it. So I just got to yeah. go with it. You and if you leave it. this gang, like they're going to come after you. You got to yeah. like leave you leave uh, El Salvador or Sicily or wherever you are. Otherwise, yeah. they'll get you. Is that the same gang who's in El Salvador and Sicily? Or well, the 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 reach of some of these gangs is quite global, but possibly the El Salvador uh, Sicily one is not uh, is not uh, not this, No. <laughs> um, yeah, that's exactly it. It's hard to leave because it's your entire world, right? And gangs are a good example of it. Like that's uh, that's it. Like there's there are people who take care of you. You've, you've grown. I mean, you're with them. You spend your time with them. They share in the same belief and other commonalities. Uh, um, but I in that in the same documentary I watched, it said that most people will leave cults when three things happen. Number one when you discover that your infallible leader isn't infallible. Uh, for example, when he says the end of the world is, is January 31st and, uh, and then when February, <laughs> February 1st comes along. Yeah, under the Mayan uh, calendar. They'll, they'll just change which calendar it was. Uh, uh, also, when, uh, uh, when you find out that your leaders uh, or the system's uh, morality uh, system, uh, sorry, your, uh, the organization or the leader's uh, uh, moral guidelines are hypocritical. Uh, for example, when they say like, uh, you know, no sex before marriage, but then your leader goes off and has like 15, like, you know, girlfriends and like, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. It kind of breaks it. And then the third one is when your reality, your constructed reality just cracks pretty much like you realize like this thing is not making sense. And like a lot of bad stuff is happening behind closed doors. And so um, this is when most people leave. Uh, um, so uh, uh, I read, and I'm not sure, I can't back this up. So there's not, fact. I read that uh, the majority of cult, followers end up leaving their cults uh, hmm. uh that but again i can't verify that but i think that seems right uh from based on some of the stuff i put together too most cults i've read about and generally in life don't seem so like you have to stick in there forceful forever it's not like like a gang and there's really like no physical or or violent retribution for leaving but that's not for the majority of them a lot of them are, are more belief systems and i think they're in place but they're not like hard as as gangs are but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. But yeah, sorry. No, it makes me think also, you know, the uh, Westboro Baptist church, do you remember those guys? Yeah. They were always protesting outside of uh, U S soldiers, funerals and um, yeah. gay marriage that all us, like, they were saying it in such horrible, horrible ways. They would yeah. do really terrible things. Um, and there were interviews. It was, it was essentially one family, yeah. but you could almost characterize them as a cult, right? Yeah. And I think one or two of them have since left the family or the cult. Yeah. And it's really jarring to see the same person speak before and after because Weird. before they were just saying like God hates gays and you're all going to die, you're all yeah. sinners. Yeah. And then now she's just like an, a normal person. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird. Doesn't it like doesn't recognize herself in those it, videos. It doesn't compute even as a viewer, right? Like it's it's weird because like you've associated that person with that thing, and so uh, and it's also just like destructive. Like I mean, I I believe in second chances and stuff like that, but uh, but it's something about like when like like cult leaders and ideal ideology and stuff like that. When you like push hate and like all this garbage, 
and then you try to like change yourself it's like you can't take that person seriously anymore you know what i mean like so are, are there any examples of uh, positive cults and, and good cults that have done nice things for the world <laughs> i don't know i mean you tell what do you think like uh, i mean when you, i hear the word cult i think oh that's bad it's a negative thing like oh that's like oh that's gonna die they're gonna be tortured or abused me too i maybe, think like that maybe too. there's a nice charitable cult uh and uh you know, if you read the Da Vinci Code, the Da Vinci uh, Dan Brown books, there's all sorts of kind of <laughs> Opus Day, <laughs> Opus Day, and he has all these secret societies mentioned, which are, are sort of called Skull and Bone yeah. uh, things. I uh, on and, a side you know, note, fr- fr- uh, like fr- frats and, and sororities are essentially cults. Um, true. They do they do clean ups along the side of highways yeah, to just right. cover up from the sins they've done on the on the weekends. On the weekends, so it balances out. Uh, on a side note, oh, uh, I visited. I took a tour of Yale university with my cousin mm. like a while back long time back and uh, we saw the skulls and bones building from the outside mm. like the frat building and it had no windows in it it was really creepy but uh but uh it was did you watch the movie uh yeah what was it called apparently uh, it wasn't very good skull and bones i think oh <laughs> <laughs> no there was a movie wasn't there like another i think one. it was called skull and bones <laughs> what frats and stuff um were you part of a frat ever no uh, either i wasn't cool enough which is probably one element but also uh i just uh didn't really like that sort of uh what they were up to i was part of a frat for, for one month did you know that in first year university uh, i didn't know that i mean i heard some of the um initiations that you had to go through i'm like well, i don't get why you need to do that to yourself yeah. some of it was basically torture yeah the only um, um uh, i uh i went to <laughs> you, you know the mcdonald's on bank street the garbage one there's a lot of uh, gar- gar- <laughs> which which uh, if, you, if you go this uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, in first year university went in the dorms was like oh my brother's part of this frat do you guys want to go and like just check it out and we were like sure so we went and uh, it was a dump house and uh, uh, and then it was sort of like there if you're gonna look at it in terms of cult it was there. Uh, their soft sell <laughs> there come have a drink or whatever it was you know yeah, party exactly. or whatever and I didn't even like I didn't drink so like uh, 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 I was just kind of hanging out and then and then they're like oh all the guys if you want to like uh, interview for initiation this is the date and this is the thing and honestly I was I went for initiation just for fun I dressed up in a suit and tie and whatever and the only reason I think I got in was because I shook there's 20 guys there and they asked you a couple of questions but when I walked into the room I shook every guy's hand and I no one else had done that and I think that was pretty much the only reason they were like impressed and they were like, yeah, let's interview this kid. And then we went through the whole like initiation, like aspects of it. And what like, did they interview? Like, what were the questions? They're like, why do you want to join a call? Not a call. I was going to say, <laughs> why do you want to join our frat? Like, what can, what difference can you bring? Like inter- basic interview questions. Right. And so like, you know, and so I replied with really like, you know, standardized, uh, like I knew how to interview, like, you know, answer questions and in interviews. And so I, you know, what's your greatest weakness, blah, 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 blah. And so like, uh, uh, I did it and uh, I went through the first couple of weeks and uh, I just realized this wasn't for me. So I just left and uh, I lost like, like a couple hundred bucks still. I really wish I got that money back. So that they charged a couple hundred dollars as a registration to the exploitation, see, <laughs> financial exploitation. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's lots of different uh, groups and things that could be characterized as having cult-like characteristics. Um, but I definitely think sororities and fraternities are on the somewhat lighter end of the scale, but still have, uh, they're on the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, it, this is like, uh, I watched this documentary and it was really fascinating. I'm not judging anyone or whatnot. I think it's, uh, let's call it an organization, uh, like multiple organizations. I wouldn't classify it as uh, all organizations being under one category. There are different levels and stuff to it. Uh, cults would be in its own uh, category for me. But an interesting thing 
is that uh, um, in the documentary I watched, and this is fascinating, I never even put it like this, is that we have a social problem right now in modern day world. Because of technology, there is social isolation everywhere. People are lonely as hell with the computer because people are making these relationships online. They're not doing it in person. With no community, no organize, a lot of people leaving organized religion, virtual communities are starting to help fill that void. And so with IT, with technology, you no longer have to be geographically in a location for your community. You can be anywhere on the internet or in the world. And this actually, interestingly, has led to more cult leaders online. So there's more, if you go online and you do some research, there are a shitload, pardon my French, pardon my language, of, of, of beliefs and, and organizations or whatnot, just like uh, Scientology. Uh, the QAnon like, one. I mean, um, yeah, like yeah. The, they were at their peak, right? In the, uh, in the States, yeah. The States. Of course. In the so, election. Yeah, so you can, and because of uh, technology, you can get more people to join your, your organization quicker it's really scary and so a lot some people one uh, one person was calling like online uh cults pretty much modern day cults now right like the way you can do it so i mean from uh from a from just like a sociological point of view it's freaky like what used to be done in person can be done online now yeah i mean the internet uh allows these people to find each other so if you kind of have a certain peculiar belief system you can find someone in Burkina Faso or Belarus who also thinks the same as you. And then boom, you've got a three person uh, society, boom. Uh, which, which has its benefits and obviously its drawbacks if your beliefs or what you're thinking about is kind of disturbing. Yeah. Um, but I think that you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's at its root, possibly about uh, low loneliness and just the need to belong. It's... Um, and like, I was reading some stuff about the QAnon where it's like, of course, you have to kind of espouse some of the, their crazy beliefs uh, to believe in QAnon. Yeah. Um, but also, it, it just helps you feel connected to something. And then you're against something else. And it, it tightens the, the, um, like the, the group, the closeness of the group, the more you fight against the other yeah. and do this thing. I watched this movie the other day and I know like this is not even a real, it's not even a primary source or secondary source. It's like a, a tertiary or fourth source. So I watched this movie called Without Remorse on Amazon Prime. It was like a Tom Clancy book remake. And uh, uh, <laughs> it's so stupid, but it was pretty much about like starting a war between the US and Russia in modern day, like a modern day cold war. And when they asked the guy who started it, why he did it. And he said that like humans always need someone to fight against and we need to rally around. And in America, we didn't have any enemies. So we started fighting with each other, i.e. like what's happening now. So we wanted to start a war or start a thing so we could all work together to fight the other, the Russians, right? And I just kind of got reminded of what you were saying is that like people want a community, but people also want to like, I guess, I don't know if it's human nature or if it's the bad or the evil in us, but we also always want to have someone else to go against, right? Or like that seems like yeah. the case. I don't know if it's for all humanity, but it seems like that's a story that's on repeat. And perhaps one of the, the nicest, uh, but sometimes violent cults is uh, being a sports fan. So like, it's so rare, or you probably shouldn't do it, especially in uh, Europe. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't change which team you support. Like yeah. if you're a Manchester United fan, you can't all of a sudden like next week be a Chelsea supporter. That'd yeah. be like, you've left this, you're, you're, don't talk to us ever again. Yeah. You're abandoning our community. Yeah. And like, especially in, well, obviously with COVID, the fans haven't been able to get together, but you know, when the, I've been to a few games in the UK, yeah. it, it, it has a great feeling of belonging. Yeah. 
and you're singing songs that have to do with how good your team is and how terrible the other team is and their fans. Um, You'll, if things get really heated in like these rivalry games, there can be riots and fights. And it's like, if you think step back and you think this is crazy, it's a sport. You're just watching something. Yeah. But it's just like, it, it, this kind of cult like mentality really just pushes on like the, the base in instincts of humans. And, you know, you end up in Guyana or you end up in a street fight in uh, Manchester. Well, I would, I just like you said, I would argue that if you're uh, that charismatic leader, you know this and you pretty much manipulate people on this point to get them to do what you want to do. Right. Uh, to, which is join the cult and financial or, or, um, uh, or sexual exploitation or whatever it is that you need. And so, uh, uh, um, so I want to put all this theory into practice on a case study. Okay. So, uh, so, so like these two business school guys talking about case studies. <laughs> so, I mean, I looked at the Jonestown one and to be honest, it was a little too gruesome for me. I really didn't want people to listen to that. It's really weird. Sure. Like I might not even sleep tonight because how weird it was. Uh, and I looked at some other ones, but, uh, there was one in Japan called Om Shinriku. Oh you yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's Serengeti. gas. Certain guess. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, Om Shurinku means supreme truth. And its leader, Shoko Asahara, uh, uh, in the 80s, I, he was born in 55, but I think it was in the 70s or 80s that he started this group. Very interestingly, uh, um, poor, uh, born into a poor family, uh, uh, lost eyesight in one eye and then partial eyesight in the other or full eyesight, I forget, but he was pretty much partially or fully blind. That also helps to be a mystical leader. Uh, uh, if you look at him, it's really, it's whack. You know, like this guy's up, something's wrong. Um, so this guy uh, uh, calls himself Christ reborn. He is Jesus Christ or, uh, or he's a version of Jesus Christ on, in the world. Uh, he, his job is, he, be- he believed, is, was to take on the sins of the world and transfer spiritual power to his followers. Uh, um, his ideology was a combination of Vajrayana scriptures, which is, a, I believe, a, a, an Indian a religious-based scripture, the Bible, and some other texts. Um, um, he started off small, like a small business, like an SME. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he appears on some TV shows, some magazine covers. As he gets more famous with his ideologies, he lectures at some unis. Uh, followers start joining. Uh, um, when he starts, uh, uh, he promotes only the peaceful practices of his religion. But as he grows and people get more enveloped, uh, they start to see that he becomes more extreme. And he realizes, people realize that his, his uh, ideology is a doomsday prophecy. And uh, pretty much for those who don't listen, it's pretty much the end of days uh, st- uh, type stuff. It's pretty dark. Uh, he himself, Mr. Uh, Shoko, uh, he, sing- he sees that there's dark conspiracies everywhere in the world, whether it's, uh, and then there is, these are pushed by uh, the Jews, the Freemasons, the Dutch. Yeah, the usual the Dutch. suspects. The Dutch. <laughs> the Bri- yeah, <laughs> the British rival, uh, royal family, uh, 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 rival Japanese religions. Uh, um, and so, uh, uh, Shoko actually very smart gentleman. I mean, if you're going to look at it from a very, just like a methodological, methodological point of view, uh, uh, because he came in at the time that eighties, uh, the eighties, the seventies in Japan, when, uh, uh, you know, we were just coming out of the third world war. It had been 50 years, uh, business was booming, but as business boomed, as the economy went up, a lot of people were just losing their ways. They had no belief system. If you're going to call that, no, no morality or ethics. So he knew that there was a gap that needed to be filled. But, uh, but he also believed at this time that humanity was on the brink of World War III. It was coming soon. And that this was going to be led by the United States of America, which he labeled the beast. The beast. And uh, his uh, view was that all of this was going to end with nuclear Armageddon. Uh, 
uh, uh, only members of his organization were going to survive. So they needed to recruit people and like grow this organization. Uh, but as the organization grew, he, even though he was blind, which I don't really understand, he was very uh, controlling and vindictive. Uh, if members escaped, he'd put them on a list and uh, a lot of dead members would just pop up all around Japan, they were saying. They'd mysteriously disappear as well. So he had like a hit list and it was kind of feared. But he escalated his, 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 his modus operandi, which is, uh, I believe, Latin or French? <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll get corrected on that one. <laughs> it's Latin. Uh, uh, so, mode d'opération. Mode d'opération. Uh, so um, this is really unfortunate. He, so uh, he, in 94, in 1994, there, uh, he planned, uh, he was a mastermind behind a chemical ser uh, sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway system, which interestingly enough, I don't remember learning every time in school. I only know about it from personal research or from something. Did you learn it in school? Why would they teach us that in school? No, I mean, like, I don't know, like modern day history or something. <laughs> no, like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it's like, it's like a big deal. Like it was like a biology, chemical. I don't know where you'd learn it. But did you learn it at any at any point in the academic setting? No. No. How did you learn? How did you come across it? Just personal research, personal history in a book? I think it was 1995. It was in the news. Yeah. It was just... Um, was yeah, but uh, once you're done your story, I have a nice uh, add-on to this cult, which I'm aware of. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So yeah. on this tack, uh, they boarded five subway trains in the morning. Uh, they released sarin gas, uh, which is a deadly chemical gas. Um, uh, it killed 13 people. It injured 54 and affected almost 6,000 commuters. Uh, um, it was one of the first instances of biological warfare uh, in modern day uh, history against civilians, uh, maybe even in general, I'm not sure. But horrible like a really really and so unusual in japan which is like a normally a very safe ultra safe society where yeah these kind of things don't happen <laughs> super weird and this is all like going into his doomsday prophecy and like trying to take over the japanese government trying to become emperor of japan trying to get like everything set and uh so after this incident the police uh raided his like different locations different offices and they found like stockpiles of weapons mm. uh, um uh, a gas apparently it was enough gas to kill four million people isn't that crazy where'd like, they get it from this guy okay so on a side note uh this guy i don't know if this is verified again this is my second point this is only i only saw it in one source but apparently he was making so much money on the side i'm, I'm assuming shoe exploitation and uh people donating and stuff uh they said a billion dollars i don't know if that's true or not but i'm assuming a lot of that went to arms <laughs> like weapons and stuff like that <laughs> apparently they even had a military helicopter dave like in in storage that's crazy okay so so this is where i'll jump in yeah yeah i read this book a long time ago about it, it seems random but uh, just stay with me yeah it was about like the history of australia okay and there's a section on this cult because they were so rich that they bought a huge plot of land in the outback like middle of nowhere obviously and I think it was obviously before they, they had this uh, sarin gas attack in the subway and they were just kind of thinking like, how can we cause some devastation? Yeah. And there was something that happened where um, th they detected basically an earthquake, like the Richter scale, right? Uh, yeah. Something went off in Australia and they're like, what the heck was that? Yeah. We don't typically get big earthquakes in Australia as far as I know. And no one can figure it out. And it was like in the middle of the outback. Yeah. And, after the sarin gas attack happened, they did uh, like some uh, more research on what was going on there. And they found that 
they possibly like created like a mini nuclear bomb and they were just blowing off stuff in the down in the outback like testing yeah. stuff out or just they, like... they just dropped some like crazy huge bomb in the middle of the outback which was had like nuclear elements to it so <laughs> they almost made a nuke oh my gosh that's scariest wow and so what happened like do you know like this cult or this leader do they arrest him or must be against the law i think like well the thing is is I, the outback is is massive Huge, and like, yeah. it's so big you can drop a nuclear bomb and no one notices until yeah. after they do a terrorist attack yeah, yeah. so um yeah I, I guess justice came uh after the tokyo subway bombings when yeah. everyone after them so well, well after the bombing shoko the guy the leader he goes into hiding he even tries to release some more gas but fails and different other incidents uh three yeah. months later he's found hiding in the wall in the wall of one of his compounds. Uh, he gets arrested. He gets convicted of masterminding the subway attacks. In fact, 150 other people in his cult get arrested as well. Uh, um, um, but a lot of members are actually like, uh, 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 like get away without being charged, but 150 do get arrested. So, so that's kind of sad that a lot of people got away with it too. Uh, and it's really interesting on a side note, a lot of his members were like highly educated university students. Um, 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 like, you know, they understood right and wrong and whatever. They were mm. just looking for someone. So I think that's a common theme you find. We always think that like, it's always like people who joined, like they don't know what's happening and stuff, but there's some people who are very, very. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at the members of Scientology. It's like the Hollywood elite. Yeah, I don't know if actors are the most educated. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> but yeah, that's that's true. I'll, I'll get the science. True, they just follow a script, right? In a in a in a, in a thing, though. Uh, well, Tom Cruise, I guess, right? Uh, uh, so uh, Shoko was sentenced to death in two thousand four. Uh, 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 he actually gets hanged in two thousand eighteen, along with six other cult members. So you know, he's in jail for like fourteen years. Uh, today, there's almost still two thousand people in his in his cult, even though he's dead. Uh, but apparently, according to uh, records, his uh, uh, just before he was about to die, he wanted uh, 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 his remains to go to his fourth daughter, uh, who oh, he had 12 kids, by the way. Sorry, I forgot oh, to nice. mention that. <laughs> uh, he wanted his so remains- sexual exploitation. I guess he had more than okay. one wife. But in his bio, I read that he had 12 kids even before he started this call. Like, right. So like uh, uh, a busy so- man. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so he wanted his, uh, his, uh, his uh, remains to go to his fourth daughter who was unsympathetic to the cult. And uh, he, uh, and like, uh, he wanted his ashes to be disposed into the sea, but it's being contested by his wife and his third daughter, daughter and other family members who want the ashes to, uh, to be built into a shrine so people can come, come and like visit it. Uh, and as of last year, March, uh, the ashes are still at the Tokyo Detention Center. Like uh, the case, that issue has not been resolved. But uh, but I just wanted to say that you mentioned this like 10, 20 minutes ago, is that like um, family members of the cult or people who are part of the cult who left. Uh, it's so weird because I was watching this interview with Oprah and doing my research and Jim, <laughs> <laughs> Oprah, and uh, Jim Jones. And the reason is Jim Jones, when Jim Jones had a bunch of kids and one of his kids uh, was being interviewed by Oprah, like now he's like 45 or something like that. And he was saying that, like, listen, uh, we were living in Guyana at the time. And my dad, I was in, uh, I forgot the capital of Guyana. I'm so sorry. Georgetown, I want to say. Yeah. yeah. He was in, so Jonestown wasn't, wasn't in the city. It was like in the middle of nowhere. And he and his brother was in, uh, were in Georgetown playing a basketball game. And they called, uh, their dad called them and said, like, listen, uh, it's going to happen. Miss Frazier, there's a code name for the suicide is going to happen. So get some supplies, the Kool-Aid and kill yourself. And this guy was like, what? Like, you know, his son. 
he's like, no, like, don't do this and blah, 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 blah. Don't, he tried to talk him out of it. He did it. And he said that like, when I heard this and I, I couldn't get it, I went to the American embassy immediately with my brother and to like, see what, like what was happening and notify him. And so like, by the time, I guess everything kind of got settled down. They got that these guys had already committed it, committed side. And I was just thinking like, this guy's dad was like a cult leader, right? And like, he, I mean, like he was just a kid at the time, but he clearly understood right and wrong and he didn't do it and he tried to stop it. But his whole life, like that's the name and that's the history and that's the heritage he'll be linked with. Isn't that weird? Like, like that's psychopathic. Cause like in, re- in like a, looking back at all this, like we know it's right and what's wrong and it's weird and people are studying it, but this guy like lived through it. And I was just thinking like the same thing with uh, Shoka and her daughter and like her other family members, like some people still believe in this crap. Like, and they're still like, you know, wanting to create shrines and do this and that. So that means like some people think this is still the right ideology. It's weird, right? Yeah. I guess. I mean, there's 7 billion people in the world. So some uh, lunatics uh, will always believe in something uh, kind of out there. Uh, but you'd think it would be discredited after, uh, you know, they all killed themselves. And uh... do you, well, do you remember, do you, I don't know, but going back to our college days, do you remember Shinichi, my friend Shinichi? No. He was, he was from Japan. He was really cool, like uh, very Japanese, very cool. And he was telling me, like, in Japan, we don't really have like ideological beliefs and stuff. So we'll like, for example, we'll get married in a church. Uh, oh, well, like then we'll have, like die as Buddhists. And then like, well, like it's like a mix and match. And so like, I think one of the reasons Shoko really found that gap was between that time politically, where there was a lot of people who were looking for some type of uh, belief system uh, in the in the 70s, 80s versus not having that. And then like people needing meaning in their life, he kind of dove right in. He knew what to give them, right? And so uh, if you go online and you watch docs or watch, look at photos, this guy totally looks like a cult leader. <laughs> like not to be, He totally looks whacked out. But it's interesting, like you said that there's more cult activity possibly being formed around the internet. But in some respects, I would think that it would be lessened by the internet because of the mystical qualities that uh, people have when there's a, the remoteness to the leader. But if you're online, you, everything can be found out you can like take pictures of the person's house and yeah. everyone can be an online sleuth and like just discredit the whole thing. I guess so in some, in some ways, like I find it harder to form a cult in the, in the digital era than uh, in the sixties and seventies. I would buy your argument. Like it's a good argument too. I mean, I'm sure someone on the other side would also be like, listen, I get access to my leader like that anytime I want YouTube <laughs> channel or whatever it is and et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's two sides to the story. I, uh, I mean, we don't have to talk about cybersecurity and this and that, well, but I mean, maybe, maybe the cult leader shouldn't have Twitter or an Instagram account that to create like more of a mystery. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, at the beginning of this call, uh, sorry, not call, but at the beginning of this recording, you had mentioned, uh, like, you know, uh, um, like going to Sunday school and churches and stuff. And so like, you know, here in North America on Sunday mornings, you can turn on a sermon on your TV for those people who don't go to church, but it's, it's televised, right? And there's stories about people in churches who are, uh, you know, modern day pastors or modern day priests or, or whatnot, who, you know, they fly on their private planes and like, you know what I'm saying? And they, then they go to their church and they're not, they're, they're anti-COVID and they're having a church of, uh, what was the church? A Westboro church. So there's a, you know, I mean, there's a lot happening out there. And I, I know there's people who study this stuff and I find it just purely fascinating from a theoretical point of view, but scary as well, like uh, that things can spread very quickly in this world. Well, I think there's a chance, you know, super respectable could form some sort of uh, cult following over over the time, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to 
mysterious uh, leaders, very charming and charismatic. And we have a belief system around weird things. Yeah. And this is going to come back to bite us in the ass and the depositions. <laughs> this <recording. laughs> It's all recorded. Anyways, I know you're joking. So uh, like, I found it interesting. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, if anyone ever finds like any books or interesting things on it, I, I'd love to read more about it, just generally psychology. Uh, but every once in a while, like uh, stories pop up in the news, even close to home here. I mean, like uh, in, I live in British Columbia where there's like a, a, a polygamous or um, group mm. in, the, in the Okanagan in the middle. So they're always in the news, not always, but you know, so it's not far, but I thought it was interesting that it was, it was mostly a North American based thing, though it does exist in other parts of the world, but you see a lot of it in North America. Definitely. Um, and if you've ever listened to an interview with uh, Charles Manson, you, you'll wonder how the hell anybody followed that guy. Um, Crazy. Did, think, you, did, did you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I did not know. Oh my, you got to watch it. It's really cool. He's in it. And he actually, his, the, the, the murders uh, that he initiated are actually like a big part of the story. And in Quentin Tarantino's version, he almost makes it that what if the murders never happened? How would it have been different? And uh, you should watch it. It's interesting. But Charles Manson was a psycho. Yeah, that's crazy, man. You can go, you know, um, uh, um, if you go to uh, uh, Los Angeles, you can drive by the Tate house. Uh, it's not the how they demolished it and they rebuilt it and stuff, but you can go where the murders happened. It's pretty weird. Like I didn't do it, but yeah. Yeah, that's not my cup of tea. Um, we can also stick to the cult of Manchester United and, and stuff go. like that. There you go. Anyways, that's 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 my thing. I'm sorry it was a downer or not uh, a little bit darker, but fascinating uh, nonetheless. Very interesting, Tosh. It uh, very illuminating. I took notes on how to start a cult, and I'll be researching <laughs> further in the days to come. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Dave, have a good night. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>